you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. As always, we appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for tuning in, being part of the big show. We certainly appreciate it. As always, the Chris Voss Show is the family that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your mother-in-law because, uh, you know, she kind of had a crush on you before she you met her uh, daughter. And uh, that seems like a strange thing to have to work out. So enjoy your Christmas holidays. <laughs> Made that one up. Uh, we, as always, we're bringing the smartest people on the show, the people who have lived uh, interesting lifetimes, who've done interesting things, uh, you know, other than yourselves. <laughs> and uh, basically, they have the stories, the stories they do, we call the owner's manual to life, the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House presidential advisors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the uh, authors of all different books from novels to, to fiction to nonfiction, you name it, we've had them on the show, or they're going to come on the show eventually so i hope you're all waiting uh we have an amazing gentleman on the show and we're going to be talking about his amazing book called the power of mindset 14 life-changing principles on how to achieve true happiness and success today we have hike hike tada vosian on did i get it right Nice. That was very close. Good. I'll, I'll take it. Go. Why don't you give me the version that should be? Just hike Tadevosian. There you go. You say it so much better than I. It sounds so much more beautiful coming from you. I'm an old man looking at these letters going, what did I write? Uh, so thank you very much, Hike, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. First of all, appreciate you having me on the show, Chris. It uh, means a lot. means a lot. Mm -hmm. um, as far as .com, I, I just have a website where I you know, help use promote the promote the book a little bit. It's at hike t h a y k t initial of my last name dot org o r g. Um, but mainly, I use the book most of the sales and most of the way people you know grab the copy of the content is on just Amazon. There you go. So, uh, give us a thirty thousand overview of what's inside the book. Thirty thousand interview uh, overview. overview. So overview um you can do an interview of the overview too yeah so essentially it's my american dream story um why my dad just sacrificed everything left everything back home in my home country armenia uh mm -hmm. brought me here we left uh my younger brother older sister and my mom behind for what we thought might be you know maybe six months to a year separation that's kind of what we hear you know you leave mm -hmm. a country that is struggling financially you go to america where hollywood makes it seem like you just come here and become overnight millionaire you go there and you know bring rest of the family everything is good in reality we learned that's not how the american dream works uh mm -hmm. it doesn't talk about how much you have to work how what mentorship is what waking up early is what overworking most people that you know is uh learn that and seven year separation from my family you know little boy me at age 13 was pulled oh. away from mom brother sister so i learned a lot of lessons learn what not to do what to do and uh maybe childhood trauma, which got me to a point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I would love to write a story about these experiences because I think there's a, Chris, you might agree with the statement, um, mm -hmm. villains and superheroes have an origin story, very similar. One of them says, 
man, this, this, this hurt. Uh, I'm going to make sure the world feels my pain to become a villain. And then the superhero goes, wow, that hurt. You know, whatever that trauma was, mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure nobody feels this pain. And I think at a certain point in my life, I had to make a decision. I want to make sure nobody feels this pain. So <laughs> I took those lessons. I, I learned to get Americanized. I stopped getting in trouble and getting in fights and arguments. Oh. And I realized I just need to be a good human being. I need to work hard. And then bunch of lessons later it was less about the book more about can i become somebody worthy to write about and for years the answer was no uh, broken mm-hmm. kid with broken background poor homeless you name it mm-hmm. i would eat my breakfast in middle school bring my lunch to my dad to make sure he's fed mm-hmm. um turn into pitbull like grip on business i built one of the most successful insurance businesses in the country wow. i have an amazing team i've trained people to go from no sales background to some of the best sales people there are mm-hmm. i took those lessons into sports and i qual- it went from not being able to run to boston marathon to qualifying for nationals in triathlon mm-hmm. and you know a lot of those things i started thinking to myself i'm like am i worthy to write now and i think when the answer came to me years and years and years later i wrote and it turned into 14 principles of what i really think this American dream of what success is. And I just wrote, wrote it through my eyes and through my lessons. And it's been helping me inspire and push and push the youth to the next level. And I've been helping a lot of business owners because of the content. There you go. And you were able to break through the next level and then share uh, the success and help other people uh, find what you took and did. Now, uh, let's get into your bio a little bit. You, you, uh, your family left Armenia. Uh, at the only 13 years of age with your father and a few hundred bucks in their pockets. And uh, you couldn't bring the entire family. So your mother, your sister, and your brother had to stay behind. Um, and, you know, a seven-year separation from your family, that's kind of hard for a young man to lose access to his mother and stuff. What was that like? Um, it, it definitely is some kind of a post-traumatic stress disorder, Chris, to be honest. Um, and like I said, I... I can dwell on the issues and I, I've seen people with bad past and you, you did too. And most of yeah. us have. And the, the problem is a lot of people tend to fixate on those issues as in we all have a story and we have mm-hmm. a choice of what to do with it. We, we can either use it as it's like water that puts out the flame and we just going back and saying, I'm unlucky. I was dealt the bad hand. It was just bad. It was negative. And I know these people and mm-hmm. unfortunately big population are like that and they're very reasonable and they have a legitimate reason to believe why that's difficult. And, yeah, it was. I cried myself mm-hmm. to sleep many nights, Chris. I was a social reject. I remember when I came to America, I stuck up like a sore thumb. I didn't speak mm-hmm. English, first of all. You yeah. stand out. And I went to a school where I'm like the only kid who doesn't speak English. There was no English second language where I started going to school in Geek Harbor, Washington. I remember those days. Mm-hmm. And it was embarrassing enough that kids were picking on me. I was dressing different. I looked different. I was offended easily. I come from like the very hood side of Armenia in Yerevan where like people look at you the wrong way, you have to ask yeah. him, what are you looking at? And they better have mm-hmm. a good reason or it's a fight. Like that's yeah. that's the mentality like the Compton or for Armenia. That was, it, every day there was a fight. I mean, you, you grew up, but that's not like, that was a reality. That's how everything was. Wow. You know, you can't bump into somebody without having a conversation and apologizing. They don't apologize and they have to teach them a lesson. If, if you get yeah. beat up, you, now you're bringing your crew and it's, it was, it was hardcore. And I'm coming to America with this mentality. Yeah, I was a, I was a tough kid from a rough neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But I was also mommy's boy. I had a very loving, caring, yeah. you know, I, she would pet me to sleep at 12, 13, like for most of my life. And I'm now I'm here with my military dad who's like, don't make excuses, <laughs> work hard, 
What do you mean you don't know? Read this letter, translate this bill. I'm like, Dad, I kind of speak English. It's been a year and a half. I can't read a legal document for you and would get mad at me. You wouldn't understand. But I was also very blessed to have a very strong dad that kept me together Mm -hmm. because, you know, crying myself to sleep, I quickly realized that lesson. And this is a quote I'm sure you've heard thrown around on your show and, and it's thrown around everywhere nowadays. It's like, no one cares, work harder. In reality, I realized nobody gave a crap about me crying myself to sleep as a 15-year-old yeah. kid who misses his mom. Yeah. You know, and this was back in the day where there was no like Skype video. I wouldn't, once a week, we could barely afford to call Armenia and hear oh, my wow. mom's voice. Yeah, that's true. And the, again, I can victimize, but I can also say I got lucky. I was pulled into this aggressive country where you have to really work like no one cares about your feelings nobody wants to help you you got to figure out it on your own (laughs) who cares about your feelings i love it and and i developed a quick this like almost like nobody's here to save me yeah Mm -hmm. my dad's he's out working construction i'm kind of going to school getting in fights getting in trouble dealing with the stress in a really wrong way Mm -hmm. and um i don't know i think it's just my mom's prayers and god that kind of kept me together and uh, I learned how to work harder than most. And I think that mm-hmm. that uh, unrealistic view on life got me unrealistic results in my life where, yeah, I had gained weight at one point. I was like 260 pounds. Oh, I was really? negative. I was broke. And then I'm like, you know, enough is enough. And that's when I started committing to difficult things. And I realized facing difficulty was the answer. It wasn't avoiding it and complaining about it. So I use that story as I'm glad it happened. It gave me a PhD, which I call it. Mm-hmm. It's my my not a PhD as in like the degree as in poor hungry desperate degree from the school of hard knocks and I had seven years of that so I'm blessed to have it now I can teach people the lessons from those there you go from those difficult the, years the PhD poor hungry and and what desperate. was the last one desperate, desperate. yeah and and so it's such an int- wonderful story um that you tell in overcoming and triumphing through this and having the perspective that that you know you, this thing shaped you and made you a better person. Um, you guys, as as you, you and your, you and your father, you guys slept on roll up mattresses and couches and rooming homes. Uh, you went hungry. Uh, you developed unusual fear of new places. All re- relocating during the childhood years. You're moving from city to city, state to state. Um, you know you don't have your mom, who's you know moms are kind of. They're nurturers, so they, they tend to give you love. And dad's a little bit more, you know, he teaches about life. and Life isn't fair and working hard. So, you you know, without that balance, you're kind of stuck. And then, uh, you know, even in Armenia, you guys didn't have running water, electricity, often going hungry as well. So, um, what was, you, you mentioned something there that um, you, you found, I don't know if the word was discipline. I think it started with a D, but you, you kind of found... What, the, what your drive was, or or what your uh, how to how to really start utilizing what you had to do something. What, when was it you hit that moment, or can, do you recognize a certain moment when you broke through? I think when um, maybe it's the opposite of what I'm trying to do to my kids, Chris. But in reality, I think the biggest disability is when you start helping too much. Right? As in, mm-hmm. there's a point I had to realize I don't have help. Right? There's mm-hmm. a point I had to realize nobody's going to make money for me. Nobody's going to give me money. There's people who want to genuinely help, but they got their own problems. And I have yeah. to think to myself, well, what's my problem? And I had this big hole in my heart thinking money, right? So mm-hmm. when, when you have a kid who goes hungry and when you have a kid who goes to his dad to construction jobs at age 14 to work, you know, 12, 14 hour day shifts, cleaning crap just to get extra hundred dollars so I can send the money back home. So my family is bred. Mm-hmm. I have a, I've developed a huge hole in my heart thinking, man, it's hard. It's really hard to make money. You don't speak English. We had no status. 
And I remember we had a temporary visa, which expired. We were here illegally for a little while. And I remember mm-hmm. we were like, you know, drive around and we see like homeless people on sides of the roads. And I'm, my father and I conversation was, do you think that guy has a green card? I'm like, <laughs> probably. I mean, I think he's American. Maybe he's even a citizen. And my dad couldn't really fathom the idea. Wow. Why is he on the streets when he has an authorization to work? He has a work permit. And we're thinking, we just want a work permit to work. We're just doing these yeah. cash shops left and right to get something because we have family to feed. And mm-hmm. imagine like what's going through my mind. I'm seeing you're a fully capable person. You're able to wow. work. Why are you making excuses? Why are you homeless? And and I'm like, maybe the guy is disabled, maybe something else. And then later I came to learn that most people are homeless due to choice. It's like they don't want to work. They'd rather do drugs and stay on the streets than go get a job. What a thing to be, you know, have you looking at? You're looking at like, wait, we would kill to be in this position where we'd have a green card and be a citizen and be, you know, legal to work. And here are these people just throwing it away or, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be dismissive of that. There's, there's some people that on the streets that do have a serious mental illness. I agree. Sadly, yeah. sadly the Reagan administration closed a lot of the uh, sanitariums used to help these people and, and programs. And, uh, and there, there are disabled vets that have PTSD, but there are some people that they, they've turned to drugs and, and well, sometimes there's a victimization of that after a while, but, um, but they, you know, they turn to drugs or they've made bad choices in their life, but th- there's some people that stay there. There's, there's lots of people that, uh, I don't want to say all of them, but there's lots of people that they're offered assistance and they just rather be on the street. Maybe they like the drugs. Maybe they like just doing their own thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I, I can imagine in your head as a child, you're looking at it just going, what is this? <laughs> Mm-hmm. In in what you probably perceive as this rich, successful country, and uh, you know, and you're trying to f- square it all in your head. Yeah, no, I think the word I was looking for to summarize it quickly to answer your question, Chris, is gratitude. Like, well, there's a piece that I had to go back and think about. What do I have, and what, how can I work with it? And if there's a you know superpower, isn't like lifting cars and flying, but in reality, I think mm-hmm. being grateful for what you're giving, and mm-hmm. I also see a lot of my my immigrants. My, uh, we call them fobs, right? Fresh off the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, come here with a sense of entitlement as in this country is supposed to do things for me. So mm-hmm. there was a piece that I had to realize like, no, it's up to me. The opportunity is here. I'm grateful. So I'm not going to point fingers. Um, not going to victimize myself saying mommy was pulled away from me. Dad's, you know, like he doesn't take any crap. Like no excuses. Kind of get it done. Kind of attitude, which was great for a kid like me was falling apart. Um, when I became grateful and I was able to be okay with the fact of I'm going to outwork everybody, mm-hmm. things just started clicking for me. Things got better. Mm. Fitness got better. Financial tank got taken care of. You know, friendship tank. And that's that's kind of turned into the lessons in the book, step there by step go. of what I was able to do. And so then you started just kind of laying down what you needed to get to success and stuff. How did you start your own companies and uh, and get down the uh, field in insurance and, and other things you're in now? You know, as probably any immigrant that comes here that has no idea what they're doing like we don't mm-hmm. come with a business plan it's just yeah. like go and wing it right so yeah, just trying to get here and and, and you yeah. know you hear the you hear the story Chris people are like oh we came here with no money in our pockets no we had a few hundred bucks <laughs> a little bit you know um I don't know how exactly but I do know we were very opportunistic because when you're opportunistic yeah. you try everything like anything yeah you're um, you're there's no limit to what you'll try to it, succeed and float and eat and, and typically, a lot of a lot of us end up in construction jobs, and so we naturally gravitated to the thing that we don't need a language for. And a lot of them would pay us cash, you know, because we weren't really, you know, authorized to work. So, 
you know, that led to another thing. And then uh, I remember through high school years, I was very blessed, very blessed. Because sometimes, you know, you, you have to get lucky to almost meet the right person to tell you the right thing at the right time. And I did. Um, in my high school, my girlfriend's father was in insurance business. And he, to me, was the definition of American dream. As in, they have a house. And I was living in a low-income apartments in a studio with my dad. We could barely afford. Mm-hmm. And they, he had a house, a couple of nice cars. They seemed to be able to afford vacations. So I'm like why would you spend money going anywhere? Just stay and work. You know, like I, I was trying to fathom the idea why people vacation, but I quickly learned you work hard, you play hard. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, I would love to do what he does. So as I got to know him, he's like, I'm in insurance business. This whole country is the backbone. It's built through the insurance and the banking system. If you can get into this business, I love it. It's stable. It's, it's, it's residual. It's, you know, it's recession proof. I'm like, yeah, what does that even mean? So he, he kind of coached me in and as soon as I turned 18, I was able to get my insurance license. To me, it's like I didn't care. Wow. It's like jump how high, not like, oh, yes and no. Like you, you tell me I can have what you have in the next five to 10 years of my life, done. You show me the way and I'll follow. And I was very lucky because I think some of the greatest failures is not failing, it's succeeding at the wrong thing. So where I got lucky was I was giving a path to succeed, which turned to be really good for me. And I pulled my brother into the business, a bunch of my friends, my mm-hmm. team. And, you know, I, I would say this has been one of the best financial decisions and career decisions I've ever done. Although I've done different businesses and different things as well. There you go. And it sounds like, you know, you did what a lot of smart entrepreneurs did or burgeoning entrepreneurs where, you know, you got a mentorship, you got, um, you know, someone to help you and guide you. And, and then, and then you went for it instead of looking at like, well, okay, I got a job. You know, you're like, how can I do the best that I can with this? And then sure. now you've now you've parlayed it into several different mm-hmm. ventures and everything else. Tell us where that's gone. You know, I th- sales is one thing, right, Chris? And mm-hmm. in reality, it's not sales. I I know real estate professionals. I know venture capitalists. I know people who are in car sales and some own dealerships, some sell cars, some have car lots. You name it. Mm-hmm. You know, loan officers, um, entrepreneurs. In reality, the, the the successful ones are not really good at selling that product. They're just good at dealing with people, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think that's the beauty about sales. If you think about it, right? What are, you know, what has gotten America so famous? I think the answer is Hollywood, right? You, Hollywood has gotten, that's one thing that no country can replicate. Like there's countries who out, out manufacture the car industry. If you look at mm-hmm. Japan, like their cars, you know, that most mm-hmm. of them are here now. If you look at, you know, manufacturing, if you look at, you know, uh, literature, you know, medicine, U.S. is not that great at any of those things. But if you look at their actors and their professional uh, athletes, highest paid mm-hmm. in the world, right? So, you know, in reality, if, if I had to think to myself, I'm like, well, I'm not that athletic to be making millions of dollars in sports. And I'm not a great actor. So Hollywood is not an option for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the next highest paid industry is sales. And I had to dig deeper to think about it. what is sales? It's dealing mm-hmm. with people. Like, can you... Can you deal with, uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I start studying a lot of these professionals, people who are, again, the real estate salespeople, the insurance salespeople, the car salespeople, the, you know, people that would love to buy and sell businesses. Um, the top one or two percentile were, had one thing in common. They liked what they did. They were very good at dealing with people. They were very charming, charismatic. They were good at delivering a message, but they also had a core values like the system. Don't go against man's and God's laws. Don't push the envelope not, not to go to jail and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- dealing with people is a blessing because in the type of the business I'm in, mean, I get to meet all kinds of people. We have thousands and thousands of clients, right? So my, my team does a good job of guarding my time. So once in a while, they'll set up an, an appointment or somebody wants to meet with me. I get to meet all kinds of, 
and as I, people, as I mentioned, like Bill Gates is a couple of miles away from our office. So is Paul mm -hmm. Allen. So it's like, we have a lot of wealth in the area. So it's very interesting. And people, when they see you're good at dealing with people, because they start wanting to pull you in, they mm -hmm. give you ideas. They give you mentorship, indirect mentorship without even knowing, because they start telling you what not to do and what to focus on and how to think. And when you start copying the mindset of some of these ultra successful people, not good. the conditions, because conditions never come before the mindset, their mm -hmm. car, their house, all that stuff is a condition. It's the outcome of how they think. So mm -hmm. once I started spending more time with people who are good at dealing with people, I realized I have to think like they are. Most of them are doing Ironman and marathons and writing books and they don't bend their rules and they're good husbands and wives. They are good parents and they're good friends. So I had to really think about like, how can I become a better person so I can have the outcome they have? Oh. So as I got better at dealing with people, I started dealing with more people and they gave me more ideas. So I have you know, I developed a coaching program, I ended up writing the book and a lot of these conditions that most people from the outside were like, I want Chris's podcast and Chris's success. But in reality, every condition Chris has is the result of how he thinks and how he functions and his belief system. So start yeah. copying his mindset, not his things. <laughs> if I drive Chris's Porsche, I'm not going to be like Chris. No, I need to think, what book did Chris read? Yeah. How forgiving is he? How kind is he? Not very is forgiving. He? No, well, we're all working on that piece, right? Yeah, we'll so so that, that was a piece that was big to me as in... Um, if you learn to deal with people, if you open for opportunities, if you pick up your phone call, even if it's a number you don't know, like welcome information, trust me, things find to you. You're going to be doing multiple different things and you are going to be an entrepreneur if you have an open mind to learn and deal with people. There you go. Opportunity meets uh, what's preparation. Preparation meets opportunity or maybe it's the other one. One of the two. Uh, luck and hard work uh, equal more luck, I guess, or something. So uh, in the book, so you have the coaching program. In the book, you've got something you talk about, the 14 principles. Uh, I don't probably don't want to go through all of them because people need to buy the book, damn it. But uh, give us an idea of what uh, the 14 principles encompass, I guess. Chris, you wrote a book. Um, I reached out to some people who wrote books. And um, when I got to a point in my life, I'm like, I want to write. I think I, ha I think I have a worthy story, but let me see if it is, right? So... Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people try to be too, too smart and too like, does it make sense? Things don't have to make sense, right? It's like waiting for every star and the moon to align. Okay, now I'll do it. Just do it, right? The only way to know if something doesn't work, give your best and do it. And if you give your best, truly give your best. And most people don't. But if you do, you just might have something really good to be proud of and have stories to share later, right? And isn't, isn't that what life is about? Yeah. And I remember I, I thought it that way. And, and this is when I had committed to... I, business was getting good. I remember in my early 20s, I got to my first six figures where I was like, woo, yeah, you know, and then I'm like, this is the most disappointing thing ever. I'm overworked. I'm out of shape. I can't even jog a mile. Like, is this the American dream? Like, okay, I'm on track. The business is growing, but I've got no friends. I'm single. I'm out of shape. I'm fat. I can't, I have no fitness. So I remember at the time, um, this is actually right before I started writing the book because I thought financial success, you know, came into my life. I'm like, let me fix, let me fix fitness because I'm losing sleep over this. I'm not going to live long being 260 pounds. Yeah. So I, you know, there's a saying, don't ever make any decisions when you're angry or any commitments when you're happy. Or hungry. Or hungry, yeah. Uh, hangry. <laughs> One day I was having a great day, stuck in traffic in my car. I don't know. I just see a sign, rock and roll marathon, and I'm happy. And I made a commitment under happy feelings. And I'm like, I'm buying a marathon ticket. And then I went to the website. The marathon was six months away. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm in good mood. Buy the ticket. You know, so I bought the ticket. Make the commitment. Next morning, I go to a, um, 
to the gym and I get on the treadmill. I'm like, I'm about to run 20 miles right now. Like mile and a half, not even two miles in, my left ankle starts hurting. So I get on the elliptical, spend an hour. I get home, my ankle is like twice the size, maybe three. <laughs> so, and I realized this is going to hurt. So I don't know how, like I, I was proud. I can mm -hmm. figure this out. I, you know, I went from nothing. I learned how to speak English. I was full of myself and businessmen already making, you know, making it in this American dream world. Um, it was hard. I didn't read a book. I didn't hire coaching. I didn't like listen to anybody. I just watched a few YouTube videos and I trained. And I remember longest run I did, it was like 10, 12, 13 miles. I get to the marathon and I get to mile 17, which usually they say your body fails around mile like 17 through 20 is like a new feeling you develop because you never really run mm -hmm. more than that during training. And everything in my body just starts cramping. Uh, quad, oh, hamstring, calves. I can't bend over. I can't lean back. Every time I move, something else cramps. Oh, and that's the area that marathon organizers know. It's very familiar for people that start cramping who haven't trained well, like my idiot self. And they're <laughs> waving at me like, come here, come to the medical tent. I'm like walking like a penguin because I can't bend anything. And I get to the medical <laughs> tent. Lady's like, hey, you'd be taking electrolytes. I'm like, what is an electrolyte? What is an electrolyte? Wow, dude. I'm thinking wow. it's electricity. <laughs> so so they, she takes like two <laughs> tablespoons of salt, dumps it in a big uh, jar of Gatorade. It's like drink. And then she gives like one and a half of those. They massage my legs. You know, and uh -huh. she's like, walk it off. I think you'll be okay. If you don't, there's another medical station in a couple of miles. And then legs come back, cramps go away. It was like really? the world's slowest marathon I finish. There and I remember go. I felt like shit, Chris. I'm like thinking to myself, I just committed to something that like 0.1% of people in this world do. Okay, I did it, but I didn't give my best. I gave my best in the business, which is why we've had set some records of the first couple of years, but I didn't give my best. And I was lying to myself to say I did. So I hired coaching. I, you know, started training better. And I remember like lessons of training smarter, not harder, what to do, what not to do, coach, electrolytes. You know, a guy who was doing a, you know, six hour marathon ended up qualifying for Boston Marathon at 210 pounds, which I thought it was impossible. But in reality, if you take the right mentorship like I did in business, you can do the same thing in fitness. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Less was more and proper coaching. I spent some money and time. I read more and I just followed advice. And I think a lot of people are too proud. I'll figure this out. No, you won't. Yeah, in 20 years. But if you want to accelerate <laughs> learning, get a mentor, right? Um and as I started doing this, I got into triathlons and Ironman, and I noticed oh, wow. everything got better in my life. And yeah. I, I socialized more. I got married, had kids. Business went on to like breaking more records, more and more. And things were getting to a point, and I'm like, I should write. So I started writing about my lessons in the book, uh, Chris. Mm -hmm. And I, I made a mistake. And when I, I mentioned your book, we all have a thesis, right? And my thesis yeah. was, okay, American dream. Go to America. Uh, make money. Sacrifice everything. And after you sacrifice everything, you gain weight, you're out of shape, buy your time back, hire properly, do the following things to delegate, mm -hmm. delegate 70%, coach at 30, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the lessons I have in the book. Um, after you've delegated properly, you're going to buy your time back. Now you're buying your time back, use the time to get fit. Once you get fit, you get confidence back, you socialize, rebuild your circle of friends. With friends, you get the relationship, which is the family thing. You get married, you have kids, and voila, there's your dream. And as I wrote this for like, two years, I remember I want to throw it in the trash because it started making more sense the more time I spent thinking about, okay, this is my journey. Who the hell am I to tell Chris this is what he needs to do? So I called some of my friends who had PhDs and you know they had a dissertation and I was asking the same question. Can you talk to me about your dissertation? You had a thesis, you wrote about it and you had to defend it, right? Is that how it works? They're like, yeah, what do I know? I'm a college dropout and they were educating me about this. And I said, is it normal that you might have something you strongly believe? Like you spend years talking about it. You, I've proven it, but I don't believe it. They're like, well, what's your thesis? I'm like, well, my thesis is 
family, uh, fitness first, um, uh, excuse me, financial tank first, uh, fitness second, friendship third, family fourth. And they're like, that seems like an interesting thing. So I'm like, well, I disagree. Because if at that time of the year when I was had this hole in my heart thinking I'm so broke, I'm this foreign kid who was homeless, sleeping on the couch, not having food. To me, the financial tank was the biggest monkey on my back. So I had to address it first at the cost of the other pillars. Hmm. Why am I telling Chris to go take care of the financial tank when he's worried about his marriage or she's worried about her health or he's mm-hmm. worried about his friends? So mm-hmm. I had to rewrite the whole book and, it's, and essentially I changed my thesis to it is about the four pillars, but you start working on the, on the one that's giving you the biggest monkey on your back and it's okay because you'll never have a perfect balance. You can rebalance, go on and off, on and off. And it's, it's just how it works. Like last two years, I dedicated a lot of time to business because I was building another location, the book project and all these different things and the consulting gig. And now I'm actually focusing on a sub three hour marathon next year. So guess what? I'm going to work less. I'm going to spend lots of time running. I'm going to drop another 10, 15 pounds and I'm going to go to Boston Marathon next year. Like that's, that's the goal. So mm-hmm. like it or not, it's imperfect, but that's the monkey on my back. Something in my trauma from childhood is telling me, hike, you got to run a sub three hour marathon next year. And I'm just going to commit to it. Why not? And you know, thesis, you, yeah. you sound a little bit like David Goggins. You ever read any David Goggins' books? With all oh, I read his book. He was the reason yeah. why I even committed to the first marathon. That dude, that dude is, uh, that dude's a masochist, but he's brilliant and he's he's amazing and inspiring. Have you um, had him on your show? Uh, I need to try and get him on the show. Usually, we have to whenever a new book launches, we need to get him on when they're doing the tour. And if we miss that, we don't get him on. I think most of his books are come out unless he puts out something new. Wow. Um, but he, uh, but you know, one of the things that's important about what you're talking about those four pillars is, you know, uh, it, there's no one thing in life that you got to do. Like I did the, I I made the mistake when I was early on starting our companies of letting my health run down, eating fast foods, eating crap, and just putting on weight and just going, I'll deal with that later. I'm just trying to make the money. I'm just trying to survive. I'm trying to get my business going. Yeah, I let my personal life go to hell um, and isolate myself You know, to do the businesses, which actually wasn't that bad. Um, I didn't need to be chasing girls around during the time that I was trying to build my business. But you know, pretty much my business became my life. My entrepreneur became my life 24-7 for several years. Uh, and, uh, so you, you know, you can't ignore a lot of these pillars, you know, you've got to take care of your health. You've got to exercise like me going back to the gym has been one of the best things for me. It's increased my confidence. It's, it's just made me feel good all over the endorphins and, and the dopamine and all the different chemicals that it, it, it creates when you exercise, especially as a man, because we're, we're designed to be physical beings. That's why we were given upper body strength and, and extra muscles. You know, we're designed to be, you know, tribal, go hunt, you know, go hunt stuff. Biology. Yeah. yeah, biology. And so when we do that, it really activates who we are as men because building muscle does so much more. Like, and, and I think for a lot of years, I just looked at it like, oh, you just go to the gym so I can be one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger type jerks. And it's like, no, it, it does so much for me. So I like the fact that you put these in different pillars. And yeah, there's no perfect pillar. There's no, you know, it's, it's constantly like basically balancing plates, right? You know, you're spinning plates and you've got these plates in front of you that are spinning. You got to go, you know, check into each one and make sure they're all riding right. Yeah. And it's kind of a mess, but I think people try to, especially perfectionists. I was, 
I, might, I have some perfectionist team members that work for me and some uh-huh. of them are okay to let go. So I have to learn to manage them better. And one okay. thing I'm also learning, perfection is like the lowest standard we can set ourselves. It's almost like saying, I'm okay to be disappointed all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult for that personality type to accept the fact that one day, one of these pillars is going to suffer at the cost of the other one. And mm-hmm. my job has been to train them to let them know, can you release control? When you do, you accept it better. And when you accept things mm-hmm. better, there's a really a good quote I try to live my life by is to live in fear is to live in the future, to live in regrets, to live in the past, to live happily is being the moment. There you go. I love that saying. Is that yours or did? I don't know. At one, one point I went through like every book you can imagine just to uh-huh. overcompensate the fact that I didn't get a college degree, but <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe. Um, and I, what I realized uh, when we're fear-driven thinking about perfectionism as in I got to get all my four pillars working, you know, in equal order or tomorrow and next day. It's like, no, take a year off of that one, work on the other one. And I realized mm-hmm. when we release the control, we're actually able to be more present. And every single great conversation, Chris, like I'm having with you right now, great conversation, every single opportunity I've unlocked that I'm proud and I can talk to a story about is it's not the time where I was like thinking about the fears of future, which 90% of crap we're afraid of doesn't happen, or reliving the could have, should have, would have. It's like, okay, move on. What's the lesson? And if I wasn't in the moment, I would have not seen the opportunity. And people mm-hmm. that tend to be less fear-driven and more opportunistic tend to have more opportunities. It's funny how that works, but it's, again perfectionism works against us because now we're always in this fear fight or flight mechanism thinking about how do I not get eaten by the bear from the woods because biologically we're built to be afraid of crap. Oh, wow. There you go. Uh, and so you, you put all these principles in your book, shared them. I love one of the other things that I loved is you said you didn't go to college. And so you read everything you could. I had the same experience. I was going to go to college. I was set up with a Pell Grant because my parents were poor. Uh, and I uh, started my first business accidentally. I didn't even realize what I was doing at the time. But um, I started my first business and started making, I think back then in the, what was it, the 80s, uh, 18 grand a year, which was still a pretty good boatload of money for a guy who'd, you know, been living with his parents and, and, uh, didn't really have any debt. And, you know, it seemed like, it seemed like really cool money at the time. And, um, and I don't know, what does it translate to in today's world 40 years later or whatever? Uh, but, uh, I, 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 you know, but I was working for myself, you know, I gotten fired from McDonald's for having long hair. And, uh, so I was working for myself. I had control of my destiny. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool, but, uh, so I canceled the college, and I knew that I needed to be educated. And so that's what I did, too. I grabbed my dad's library of business books, went through all of his business books, went through went through everything I could read. I ordered um, business theory from Harvard Business Review and read their books. And I basically said, someday I'm going to be a uh, CEO of a major company. I'm going to have you know, thousands of employees, and I'm going to need to know how to be a leader and know how to how business systems work and everything else. And so like you, I didn't go to college, but I prepared myself. And I think that's one of the most important distinctions because I'll meet people that'll be like, Hey, you know, oh, I want to be like Chris. He didn't go to college and, but still he turned out a success. It's like, no, I got my, I got my, uh, MBA, you know, the hard way reading and learning and, and doing it. And that's, that's the real difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, For I sure. just didn't, it just didn't fall on my freaking lap. I wish it would have. Well, Chris, that's what I was mentioning. Like you probably had to work even harder because, yeah. you know, the, the seven year school of hard knocks and I got my PhD, the poor, hungry, desperate or determined <laughs> D, um, degree. But 
I think there's also a danger. Like, don't get me wrong. I will never talk down about education. It didn't work mm -hmm. for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to push everything I can to have both of my boys be doctors, right? That's, I already told there them you your go. college is taking care of. You just, you just keep working at it, you know? So, mm -hmm. but I think there's a danger too, because I hire people for a living, right? I, I'm a talent seeker. If somebody asks me, my job position always changes depending on what I'm working on. Right now, I'm just seeking talent to hire and plug them into the business. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a danger about, amongst people who think they're really smart because they got a nice degree. As in, I don't have to try as hard as Chris. Ah. So mm. you remove yeah. effort, like actually trying just because you think you can overcompensate by talent or you sink quick. Mm. I have let go of those people fast. And I realized I can pull somebody, a hungry kid in at 22, still going to college, but they got a point to prove because they haven't really proven to the world how smart they are. Oh, they prove it through making a lot of money in the business. So I think that effort piece, as long as you can get a degree and still figure out that's not solving my problems. Still have to mm -hmm. go get my, you know, licensing and, you know, if you're getting into investment, your securities license, you still got to get in front of people. You still got to make cold calls. You still have to overcome objections. You still have to ask for referrals, serve the community. Your degree does not solve any of those problems and it's not going to fix your marriage either, right? So you got to be able to be open to keep <laughs> learning. And then just because you got a degree and a lot of people think, I got my four year or six year, whatever, I'm done. No, mm -hmm. no, that's to teach you the habits to continuously acquire knowledge because when you're done, that's when, according to even Einstein, the, the true time when people realize they're dead is when they stop learning. And yeah. the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. And unfortunately, people stop learning. And that's a big problem in growth, right? In business and in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I like your joke there. It's not going to fix your, it's not going to fix your marriage. <laughs> you no. say to your wife, hey, don't divorce me, honey. I got like uh, a Penn State on the wall. I got two um, MBAs. You can't leave. Can't leave me. Actually, if you have two MBAs and, and the work that comes from it, she probably won't. Uh, so there you go. Um, so uh, tell us about what you offerings you do on your website. I know you do coaching. You've got the Power of Mindset course I can see here. Tell us, uh, pitch us out about some of the stuff that you have to offer there and how people can onboard with you. You know, at the, I guess my main goal is to promote the book with this call, Chris. I think there's a strong message to help people and nothing helps me sleep better than when somebody shoots me an email or like a social media thing. Hey, this changed my life. Like that to me, I feel like I have a purpose in life and that helps out a lot. I don't have a general coaching. To be honest, right now, all of my coaching is built for insurance agents, right? And it's at that, okay. we have a website, it's called 100appteammember.com. And that thing is just built around how do I get a, I, um, a producer to write 100 accounts in one month, which by the way, typically a successful office on their own do about 100 my average employee does 100 on their own, right? So we, wow. and we have a ton of those doing it. And so I've, a, I've built a system about how to do it and, you know, conversation, serving people, asking for referrals, educating, and I have all that stuff on there. So that's the main thing uh, I've been focusing on a lot. But the book has been one thing I've been using in lots of speaking engagements and sharing. And uh, I just, I just wanted the book to make a difference. And if it goes somewhere else, as far as opening up like a general coaching, as far as teaching people, you know, marathons and opening up businesses, that's coming one day, but not yet. And I've, just started a podcast station like you. I'm going to do a little bit more oh, of interviews. Congratulations. I'm going to pull some triathletes, some world champs into it and talk to them the way you're talking to me. And I would, uh, mm -hmm. I enjoy these conversations a lot. There you go, man. There you go. Uh, so anything further you want to pitch out as we go on? Nothing I've, I can think that I want to sell at this point. Sounds good. We crammed a whole lot of great data, and there's a great – I mean, you have one of the most amazing stories I think we've ever had in the show. It, my memory fails me, and, and we, we do have you know three to four shows a day. But I think your story might be one of the most amazing we've ever heard in coming from 
um, you know, both PhD, uh, poverty and hungry, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I love your perspective on how you, you said, Hey, I can either, you know, I can throw a pity par for party for myself and, and, uh, cry about it. But gratitude is such a really changes the mechanism of, of going through dark cathartic times. Um, I've kind of learned, uh, over my lifetime that, when I'm in my depths of despair, when I'm at my bottoms, um, you know, there was the 2008 um, uh, crisis that I lost everything. There was the time I lost my business partner to betrayal. Uh, there were uh, there the COVID. COVID was kind of one where it was kind of a little bit easier for me because I'd been through those other things. But um, being able to do gratitude and sometimes in the darkest moments of my life that I've been through or just me when I find myself depressed about something, something goes wrong or costs a lot of money that, uh, you know, is painful. Um, sitting down and going, okay, what do I have right now? What, what are my assets? What, what, you know, oh, okay. I lost, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in this thing. Um, what am I at? What do I still have? And okay. Cause that whatever you lost, you know, fuck it. It's gone. <laughs> Don't, don't uh, love it that much so you get depressed over yeah, it yeah yeah it's like it's not coming back so you might as well just uh, have some acceptance but then you sit and you look at what you have and then you know for me a lot of what i've learned is that i'm the guy and unless you unless you kill me i could probably rebuild whatever you take from me and uh and i might be able to rebuild it and make more which is what i did and uh and so, but having that gratitude realigns you and it gives you that perspective mm -hmm. you have when you were young where you go, where you, you go, okay, how can I turn this into opportunity as opposed to, you know, tragedy? Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you change the whole trajectory of your life. And I think that's inspiring. That's a, that's a great summary, Chris. I yeah. appreciate you uh, saying that. And yeah. you just summarized stoicism. In many ways, you can take everything away from me, but you cannot take who I am. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about you, uh, Chris, but as I'm learning, as I've uh, checked out your content, very successful, you know, you made lots of difference in the world, what you've done. In reality, it wasn't about, oh, Chris got lucky. In reality, you went from failure to failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm and without forgetting who you are. Yeah. Well, there might have been a you know month or two or a couple of weeks I was upset about it and found a you, you got over it. You didn't stay there. Most people, <laughs> That's again, true. they turn that story into why they're unlucky. And for the next 20 years, when they oh, have beer with their friends, they're drag dwelling it. on it. And while you're out there making a difference, they're still talking about this. And it's it frustrates me. And I, I think that's what I want to like, maybe at least help people within this book. I'm like, guys, yeah. just move on. Take the lesson. Next. There you go. Well, you, you mentioned something that's important, and I never knew it. I never really got into Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius until a few years ago when I discovered uh, Ryan Holiday's books. And, you know, I'd heard about it, and I'm like, whatever, I don't care. Um, but when Ryan Holiday came along, um, he really turned me on to it. And I, I always had a lot of those same principles. I've always been um, uh, into logic and reason. And, uh, you know, I grew up. I grew up in a cult, so I saw the madness that was going on there. So I've always been somebody who's been very analytical and looked at things. But I just pulled down my my copy here of um, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, mm. and it actually sits every every day just right off camera here on top of one of the speakers, and um, and so it's always within eyesight. But yeah, stoicism is so important, especially for men 
to keep them in there because as men we we're able to control our emotions or we we're supposed to can be able to control our emotions if you if a man lives in his emotional base and is feminine he's going to have problems but stoicism can help you get out of that but as men we're designed to have logic and reason we're designed to know what's going on uh you know emotions are interpretive you can, mm-hmm. you can you can have an emotion about an event that's negative you can have an emotion that's positive it isn't based in reality um and uh so you know that's one of the most important things being stoic logic and reason there are ways of, of building yourself out of your issues so thank you very much hike for coming to the show we really appreciate it give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs uh just hiked.org and um can best way to pick up a copy of the book will be on amazon for now and there you I, go. I appreciate you having me on the show. This uh, was a great conversation. Definitely inspiring, my friend. It's such a great story. Uh, folks, order of the book where refined books are sold, The Power of Mindset, 14 Life-Changing Principles on How to Achieve True Happiness and Success, and uh, lots of great principles therein. Uh, thanks, Manus, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Foss, LinkedIn.com, Foss, YouTube.com, Foss. Subscribe to the big LinkedIn newsletter and the uh, 130,000 LinkedIn group over there. Uh, go to ChrisFoss1 TikTok and ChrisFossFacebook.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.